0: What is going on, everybody? I'm your host, Nicholas Willard, and you're listening to Almost Canon. Now, if you have experienced the unknown or the paranormal, then we want to hear about it. Send us an email at almostcannonpod at gmail.com or hit us up via our Facebook page at Almost Cannon Podcast and send us your story. Whether it deals with ghosts, demons, Bigfoots, dogmen, lake monsters, you know, I'm all, I'm always down for a good lake monster story, or a good old government conspiracy, we want to hear about it. So again, send us an email at almostcannonpod at gmail.com yeah, all right. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show. We got some pretty good ratings for a while there. It's 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 trickled down, um, but rating and reviewing the show is is definitely the best thing any one of you can do to help. It doesn't sound like much. It really doesn't. Uh, I I am also not one. For rating podcasts that I listen to. But since I've started podcasting, I've definitely started leaving ratings and reviews. It's these ratings and reviews help us get discovered by new listeners. Which is clearly good for you. Because that leads to more, more stories, more guests, and all that good stuff. You just scroll down to the bottom of whatever you're listening to on. Whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I don't even know what else. There, there's tons of them. And I'm assuming they're all the same. You just scroll down to the bottom of the homepage of the podcast you're listening to. You know, like the Almost Cannon, uh home feed. You scroll down to the bottom. There's going to be some stars. You click on, you know, the five star. You click on leave a review. You know, write a couple uh, nice words. Bada boom, bada bing, you're done. Easy peasy, right? Simple as that. And you just helped almost Canon grow that much more. So I don't know how many of you are following uh, true detectives Night Country you know I, I, I I'm hearing that it's not getting the best listener or uh, I guess I to say um viewer reviews, which which kind of sucks, you know I'm really enjoying the show. Uh, you know it's obviously not perfect it's not it's not true detectives season one. However, it is a great show, and I just wanted to point out that last week we had Tom Pollard on, you know, we talked about Dyatlov Pass and the the Koma de Ban incident, but but when we were talking about Dyatlov Pass, you know, he, he just busts right into this talk about slab avalanches and catabolic winds and all this, you know, shit like that, and in this last week's episode of Night Country, what are they talking about? Slab avalanches. I just want to say that you heard it here folks before you even watched it Tom was talking about slab avalanches what can I say the man is a genius he is a mountaineering genius but that's really all I had to say before we jump into tonight's episode so let's do that let's get into the show let's kick it off right now Alaska, the land of the midnight sun, where people go to disappear and where the missing are rarely found. 663,268 square miles of vast, thick rainforests, tall, towering mountains, and ancient frozen tundra make up the state of Alaska. It it was purchased by the United States from Russia in 1867 and admitted to the Union in 1959. And it's the only state in the Union to have a World War II battle fought on its soil. This being the Battle of Attu in 1942. I think it was like June June 3rd or 4th through the, the 8th. Uh, the third tallest mountain in the world. Denali, once known as Mount McKinley, is located in Alaska and it's also the tallest in North America, standing at a whopping 20,310 feet. That's like 8,000 feet lower, 9,000 feet lower than than Mount Everest. But when I think of Alaska, I wonder, you know, what sort of mysteries the interior holds. Those endless forests no doubt keep many secrets, and in tonight's episode, we may have a chance to peek under that thick canopy and see what sort of nightmares the land of the Midnight Sun protects. This week, I did want to do an Arctic horror-themed show, but it's pretty hard to find Arctic horror stories, right? So what I did was I aimed smaller, you know, uh, I'm kind of basing this off this, this True Detectives Night Country show, right? You know, it's almost over. The, the season finale airs this Sunday night. So what would be better than talking about some Alaskan horror stories? So that's what I did. I dropped the Arctic horror theme and I went straight with Alaska. The fictional town of Ennis is in Alaska. So we're sticking with Alaska. And these stories didn't disappoint, trust me. I jumped on Google, I did a quick Google search, I found myself some fairly pretty creepy um, Alaskan horror stories. So, let's get into the first one. This story's called Tales from an Alaskan Commercial Fisherman. Black Hole Face. I've been waiting to tell my tale For quite some time now, but haven't worked up the courage to think about the events, let alone write about them. I'm twenty-nine years old currently, and the story I'm about to tell happened to me when I was 19 years old, working on a commercial Sen in southeast Alaska. Now, this this would be like a boat that drags a like a long, long net, I think, right? Uh I saw quite a few strange things while we were fishing out in the wilderness but this first story is the strangest and haunts me still to this day. The boat I worked on was a 60-foot old wooden sand boat, one of the last of its kind as most newer boats were made of fiberglass or aluminum. The captain of the boat's name was Buck. He was almost 60 years old, had salt in his veins and a thick mustache that wasn't to be trifled with. There were three crew total, and we were all greenhorns, which didn't happen very often. The previous summer had been a particularly bad season, and Buck basically had a mutiny and lost all his veteran crew members. The crew was myself, Jackson, Henry, and Alex, and one of us had to drive the Send skiff, which is the other half of the operation. It's a 12-foot boat, with an inboard motor that's almost the same size as the main boat. Together, the sand skiff and the main boat drag a net in the water that is about a quarter mile long and about 30 feet deep in the middle. Anyways, since I was the least stupid of all the new workers, or at least that's what Buck thought, he made me the sand skiff driver. And being even dumber, than he thought I was, I happily accepted the job and was proud of myself for being picked. Henry and Alex would work the deck and stack the net as it was pulled. Buck had a radio that him and I would use to communicate with one another, so I could tell him if I was having problems or he could give me directions to move the skiff to another position to catch more fish. We did a number of training sets in the middle of the water outside of Petersburg, Alaska so that I could get a feel for driving it, and I didn't do half bad for having never driven a boat my entire life. A set comprises of dragging the net in the water for 20 minutes and driving the skiff alongside the main boat where I disconnect and toss them all the lines that I had been dragging. Then I connect my skiff to a tow rope and start towing the main boat while they reel in the net filled with fish. Everything was going well on the training day aside from a few minor mishaps from me and the two deckhands. Towards the end of the last set, contacted me on the radio. Hey, Jackson, he said, sounding very concerned. Yeah, Buck, I responded. If you ever see anyone waving at you from the shoreline, don't wave back, he said, in a deathly serious tone. Buck was a pretty laid-back guy, but when it came to fishing, he didn't mess around. So I was confused, but I figured he was just trying to play a joke on the new guy. So I laughed and promised him that I would absolutely not wave to anyone I saw from the shoreline and then quickly forgot about what he said. We were fishing two-day openers outside of Petersburg for the first few weeks, an opener being when fish and game allows commercial fishermen to go out and catch. So we fished two days on, two days off for the first few weeks. Our third weekend on day two was when I first saw him. Fish generally swim close to the shore, so I normally towed my end of the line within 10 to 20 feet off the shore in order to catch as many fish as possible. The day can get pretty boring as a skiff driver. You have to sit there and drag the net for 20 minutes while the skiff generally stays in the same spot. So, I was absentmindedly looking up the shoreline when I saw what looked like a naked man walking down the rocky beach towards me. Keep in mind, we're in the middle of nowhere. Literally, the last thing I expected to see was anybody walking around, much less what appeared to be a naked man. He was about 200 yards away when he stopped and started waving. Being kind of a nudist myself, and a generally happy-go-lucky kind of guy, I started excitedly excitedly waving back. Immediately, I hear Buck over the radio. Jackson, what are you waving at? And then I remembered what he had told me during our training sets. There's some random naked dude on the beach who waved at me. I had to wave back, sounding like the reason was obvious. Oh God, is he walking closer to you now? said Buck, sounding increasingly alarmed. I had stopped paying attention to the man when I heard Buck's voice over the radio, so I looked to where he was standing last and saw that he was indeed slowly walking closer to me. His stride was freakishly large, and the way he swung his arms made them look like they were made of jelly. Yeah, he is, I replied. God damn it, you fucking idiot, Jackson. Close the set, we're leaving, Buck's buck spewed into the radio yes sir i responded in an irritated way i mean what was the big fucking deal some sort of weird nudist on the beach as i started pulling away from the shoreline the man had gotten quite a bit closer so i could see him a lot better he was extraordinarily pale and his eyes and mouth were really dark which seemed strange As I was pulling away, I saw him stop walking and waved to me again. I was a little pissed off at Buck for yelling at me because I waved to this silly nudist dude, so I waved especially enthusiastically to him again just to show Buck that I didn't give a fuck about whatever he was talking about. As I did this, the darkness that was his mouth turned into a smile and I was immediately filled with terror as I realized he didn't have a mouth. Or eyes just gaping black holes. If only I had known what the second wave to the man with the black hole face meant. Quick update. Hey everyone, just a quick update. I didn't think many people would be interested in what happened to me with the black hole face. Thanks for all the support. I will most definitely not be leaving you all hanging. I'm working on putting it into writing what happened next and you can expect... More within a few days, there was a lot of blah 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 uh so yeah that's the that's the first story black hole face man I don't know what you want to call it. I have no idea what what's going on there uh clearly, Buck knows something right he's telling him not before they even set out. Uh, he's telling him not to wave at anyone, so he, he definitely seems like he knows um, that whatever this, this thing is, it's obviously not a person, right? Whatever this thing is, um, lives in this area that he fishes at. This has clearly happened to Buck before, and this is quite possibly why Buck doesn't have a crew. There was no mu- mutiny, right? There was no mutiny. There was um, a black hole face man ate his crew. Uh, that's my best guess at at what's going on here. I mean, I don't know, right? Who knows? Uh, the 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 author of this this story, which which you know, there's there's a lot of uh, crazy stories on No Sleep, and this is definitely one of the more uh, believable ones that I've I've read lately. Um, but yeah, the author Fat Underscore Jackson. Kind of leaves us hanging. I mean, there's no update. He says there's an update, there ain't no updates. So, I uh, I do see a couple comments down here about um possibility of acoustica. Now, for those of you who have you know, I I don't say longtime listeners, but a couple months ago, you know, we we I did an episode on the strangest story ever told. Remember that with the the gold, the gold miner, who heard about an, an outcropping of gold from you know a native american and took his canoe up up into thomas bay to uh to find this gold right and then he was attacked by these these kushtaka, these ottermen so i mean maybe maybe this this black hole face man is a kushka however um i don't know maybe maybe it was like part, partially transformed into fat jackson himself you know we we don't know so And there are no updates. That's it. He kind of just leaves us there at that. Maybe there are updates and I'll just have to dig further. I don't know. But but yeah, that is the black hole face man. Alright. Story number two. It's titled, I found an abandoned Nissan in the Alaskan bush. What happened afterward haunts me to this day. Back in my 20s, I was what you might call an adventure girl. About 10 years ago, give or take, something happened that changed that. I moved to the city, got a boring job in a boring apartment, and become decidedly adverse to the outdoors. I haven't really told anyone about it in all that time, save my now wife, because, well, for one, they think I'm crazy, and for two... I don't want to think about it. I'm finally putting it here, though, because you all deserve to hear it. After all, you probably saved my life. At the time, I had just graduated college and moved from Texas to Alaska out of a desire for, you guessed it, adventure. I had a job doing stuff I liked. It paid well and gave me enough vacation days to get out and do something really adventurous every once in a while. One thing I'd had on my bucket list since moving north was driving the Dalton Highway. For the unfamiliar, that's a highway that goes from Fairbanks to Produe Bay on the Arctic Ocean. It's a 500-mile, 11-hour drive in the summer, but thanks to work realities, I wasn't able to get out there until early autumn. By early autumn, the snow had started, but the plows were still able to keep the highway pretty clear. And I was driving a 95 Toyota Land Cruiser, kitted out for expeditions. Besides that, I was an adventure girl. I was prepared. I had camping gear, emergency gear, a satellite phone, plenty of food and water, enough jerry cans for the trip there and back, and Sam Colt's greatest invention in the center console, just in case. For the unfamiliar, that's the 1911. I was planning to make the trip in two days, sleeping in the back of the Land Cruiser halfway. I had enough blankets to keep warm, and I, and I had a nice comfy space back there that I could fit in. I'd have to drive slower because of the snow, I wanted to enjoy the scenery, and the sun was setting pretty early by that time of year. I had a good start that day, and the driving was fine. By the time shit went down, it had been dark for about an hour, and I was getting into the foothills of the Brooks Range. That's good scenery, and also terrain I didn't want to be going through in the dark, so I was just about ready to pull over for the night when I saw caution flashers up ahead. For the unfamiliar, a hard rule for any Alaskan is that you always, always... Pull over when you see someone in distress on the side of a remote road like that, especially after the snow starts. If they aren't prepared for an emergency, there is a very good chance that you could save their life. So, that's exactly what I did. I pulled over next to a Nissan SUV, not as nicely kitted out as mine, but not bad. I figured they were doing the same thing I was. Small world. By the jack under one axle and the wheel sitting next to the car, I'd say they'd blown a tire. What I didn't see, though, were the people. I got out of my land cruiser, crunched down into the snow, and looked around. There aren't a ton of trees that far north, but there are quite a few patches of evergreens that, while not quite forests, can be pretty dark and thick on a snowy night. Hey. I called, my voice going dead a few yards away, as the sound does in snowy woods. Y'all need help? No answer. Dead silence, save the faint clicking over the flashers from inside the Nissan. I shouted again, anybody there? I've got tools. No answer. Dead silence. I considered myself a pretty brave bitch back then. But I'll, I'll admit, I was creeped out at this point. The vehicle definitely hadn't been there all that long, but there was no one to be seen. Besides that, the dead quiet and the darkness of the night were unnerving. It wasn't that weird for it to be silent on a snowy night like this, that far north, but still, creepy. Creepy enough that I hopped back in the car and grabbed my forty five, storing it and one of the big pockets in the front of my jacket, just in case. There were bears up there. I approached the Nissan and saw footprints in the snow. One pair had been crouched down at the removed tire, and the other had been standing a couple feet away by the rear of the SUV. The latter pair had then, at some point, headed off towards the tree line. It stopped a few yards down, paced around a bit, and continued into the woods, the pair near the tire had then presum- presumably later gotten up and ran after the first. I was no tracker, but it's not hard to tell when someone was running in the snow. Now, I was really creeped out; I was tempted to hop back in the car and keep driving for a good long while, but like I said, this could easily have been life or death up there. besides, I had my forty-five. It could handle a grizzly, probably. So, off I went, following those two sets of footprints into the woods. It was fucking dark, but don't worry, y'all. I had a really nice flashlight. Surefire, baby. Adventure girl, remember? The dead quiet seemed to get even deader and quieter as soon as I passed the tree line. As sound does in the snowy woods probably. The only thing that I could hear was the sound of my own breath and my boots crunching in the snow. Hey, I called again, maybe 20 yards into the woods. Is everyone okay? This time I got a response. It was a woman's voice and it sounded afraid. Over here, it called. Help. I got a spring in my step at that Jogged towards the sound of the voice shining my light through the trees to try and catch a glimpse. Over here, it called again, much closer. Help! Remember when I said y'all probably saved my life? This is when that happened. I stopped. The hair on the back of my neck had stood on end and a chill had run down my spine. Something was off about that voice. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was just slightly wrong. I pointed my light towards where I'd heard it. "'Are you hurt?' I said. Voice raised, but not quite shouting anymore. "'Help!' the voice called again. Only, it was even closer this time. I hadn't heard the crunch of any footsteps. "'Over here!' My grip on my flashlight tightened, and my heart started to hammer in my chest. This was not right. I'd read a lot of no sleep back then, and had watched and listened to my, my fair share of spooky stories. At the time, I didn't think any of this stuff was real, but what was happening to me felt way too familiar, and it was setting off alarm bells. Something about this exact situation was tugging at the back of my mind as something I should be terrified of. I tried one more time. What's your name? I asked cautiously. Help, the voice called and it couldn't have been more than a few yards off. That was enough for me to swap my light to the left hand and bring out the colt with my right. I pointed both in the direction of the voice and finally caught a glimpse of something besides trees. Off in the distance, barely visible, I could see a bundle of something laying in the snow. It was human-sized, and the snow all around it was stained dark. My head was in the middle of processing what I was seeing when I saw movement between me and the body. Oh shit, that was a body. I pointed my flashlight and gun at the source of the movement. It was humanoid, with two arms and two legs, but it was all wrong. The limbs were too long and it was too tall. Its hair was thin and wily. It had antlers, fucking antlers, and its face which was also, I assure you, really fucking wrong. It was stained dark with what I could only assume was blood. I fired two shots and hauled ass. I don't know if the bullet slowed it down. I don't even know if I hit it. I ran faster than I'd ever run before, and by the crackling branches and crunching snow behind me, it was giving chase. My heart felt like it was going to explode out of my chest and my lungs burned from sucking in the frosty air. Once or twice, I saw death flash before me as I nearly lost my footing in the snow, but I managed to stay upright as I ran. I heard more snapping, more crunching, not just behind me now, but all around. There were more. I got really fucking lucky that night. I was lucky to have spotted the body, lucky to have run just fast enough and not fallen on my face. Lucky none of the whatever they were were just a bit closer or faster. I was lucky that I had dabbled in enough spooky stories that my alarm bells had gone off. And I was lucky that the poor couple in the Nissan had gotten stranded there and suffered the grisly fate they they suffered. After all, I was planning to stop just as I saw those caution flashers. I'd have been right there in those same woods asleep. I don't want to think about what would have happened to me if that had been the case. I made it to my car, which I was again lucky to have left running, thinking I wouldn't go far. I leapt in, slammed and locked the door, and threw it in reverse as I saw dark, lanky shapes coming out of the trees. As I got moving, the headlights revealed what had been chasing me. I can't say exactly how many it was. At least half a dozen. All of them were similarly stretched pale to the point of being almost white with various forms of antlers and primitive-looking clothing. I reversed down the road as fast as I dared without risking going off and dooming myself to a certain death. For a good half-mile before I finally got the nerve to turn around, then I flew down the highway all the way back to Fairbanks, only stopping once I found a nice, well-lit hotel in the middle of the city. The next day, I was back in Anchorage. I thought about calling the state troopers, someone was going to find that Nissan, probably find the bodies. They'd find my casings, my tire tracks, I could end up a murder suspect. I decided against it though. If I ratted myself out, I'd be a murder suspect anyway, and then they know it was me. Better to bet that no one could tie me to that scene. Especially being as far from local as I was. Over the next week, I packed my shit, bailed on my job and my lease, and moved back to Texas. I never ended up with police banging on my door, so I guess I made the right choice. I still have nightmares about those those wrong, elongated things chasing me. I probably have PTSD, but it's not like I can talk to a therapist about it without ending up in the loony bin. I'm not an adventure girl anymore. I never go anywhere at night, and I stay in the city as much as possible. I didn't get out of there unscathed, but I got out of there alive, which is better than can be said for the folks in the Nissan. I was lucky. (laughs) Oh, man. I think we all know what that lady saw. Um... The Wendigo, right? Is that what everyone's thinking? I mean, it it, it sounds like a modern uh, Wendigo sighting. The fact that there was half a dozen, six of them, is weird to me. But I'm not a a, a Wendigo expert, right? I don't I don't think anybody's a Wendigo expert. Well, maybe there were half a dozen of them. Maybe they're all living in some sort of a Wendigo clan out in the woods, or maybe they were—they, I think she said they were wearing clothing. Maybe they were some sort of, of, you know, feral humans. We always hear these stories of feral humans living in the middle of nowhere, attacking, stealing, killing people. Um. I even think maybe they could have been wearing masks or helmets of some kind. Like in the 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 uh, what what's that movie called Wrong turn and the wrong turn remake, when the people leave their little village, they wear these weird costumes with you know deer antlers, deer heads, these scary looking costumes. So who knows maybe they were uh, feral humans living on the side of this highway and they would attack people who break down. I mean that makes total sense to me. So that's what I'm going with. Not necessarily a Wendigo. However, feral humans disguised as Wendigo. However, as I surf these comments, I'm coming across a, a cryptid creature that I've never heard of before. A flesh gate. Uh, which I guess is kind of like a type of skinwalker. Um, I... I don't know. I've never heard of this before. Let's let's see what let's see. Uh, a flesh gate refers to a creature that lives in the wilderness, can perfectly mimic human voice and appearance by stealing a human's skin, but cannot recreate their behavior or memories uh, perfectly. They do learn quickly though. There's more, but that's the basic idea. While I'm here, I should mention that goatmen are a different thing entirely, blah blah blah. Interesting. A flesh gate, I've never heard of that. Um look at that. You learn something new every day. So maybe it was a flesh gate, however, I really I'm getting the feeling that these were um uh feral humans just disguised as as monstrous creatures. Alright. Story number three. Titled. Told this story in an Ask Reddit thread. Was asked to post it here as well. Many strange things happen in the Arctic. I grew up in the Arctic. In the town I lived in, as long as it was a clear night, it was an extremely normal occurrence to see all sorts of strange lights moving across the sky. Keep in mind, the winter is long in the Arctic, which means longer amounts of time being spent under the stars. It's quite beautiful, as long as you don't mind the cold so much. Sometimes, I would drive a snowmobile a few kilometers out of town, shut it down, and just lay down on the snow, looking up at the majesty of it all. The only thing disturbing the silence being the occasional breeze. The northern lights are also a common occurrence. Doesn't happen every day, but often enough that they start getting ignored after a while, as long as they aren't too spectacular anyway. On one particular night, without asking my parents, I decided to go on one of my midnight drives out of town. I drove a few kilometers over the hills. To find a spot devoid of light pollution from town, shut off the machine and settled in for a good spot to look up and be retrospective. It wasn't all that interesting of a scene. A few satellites passing here and there, some relatively boring activity affecting the magnetic field, etc. And then I started noticing a clicking noise. At first, I thought it was the sound of the snow machine cooling down as the engine expands and contracts a lot in the cold. But the source of the sound definitely wasn't coming from that direction. My next thought was there must be an animal nearby, in which case I needed to get out of there fast. You don't really want to mess around with wild animals. But the clicking is too far regular to be an animal to produce it. It was fairly mechanical sounding, and again, The source of the sound isn't coming from anywhere around me laterally. It was coming from up. So naturally, I look up determined to ascertain the origins of this strange noise. I see what I always see. Stars, northern lights, a lazy satellite crossing the sky, all the normal stuff. But before I dismissed it altogether... And began heading home, I noticed something strange in the aurora borealis. The northern lights. There were three rather strong points of light. I ignored them at first, thinking they were oddly symmetrical stars. But this proved false. They were definitely getting brighter. I kept staring in morbid fascination as they grew stronger and stronger, yet still only remaining single points in the sky. All the while, the clicking noise is getting louder and louder and more pronounced, almost like someone started tapping a pen on a desk or clacking billiard balls together inside my head. Then it stops. The lights are gone, the clicking is not heard, and aside from being a little stiff, cold, and rather petrified, I'm fine. So I jump back on the snowmobile, thinking maybe I'm going crazy. The machine takes a little longer than usual to start up, and I'm beginning to worry But soon, it's running and I'm heading back to town. As I'm driving back, several plausible scenarios as to what occurred are running through my head. I'm thinking it could have been a helicopter from the mine. Or some strange northern light behavior. I pull up to my house. Lights are all dark. Strange. It wasn't that late when I left. Open outer door as quietly as possible. Remove winter gear. Enter inner door. House is quiet, really quiet. My parents are teachers and are usually up late marking or watching TV. All I'm thinking is I have to get to bed without anyone noticing. Proves to be easy as I'm soon under my covers. I go, set my alarm for the next day. All of a sudden, everything makes sense. Engine hard to start, stiff, rather chilly, nobody up when I was gone. What felt like a relatively short period of time. It was almost 11pm when I left, and now it was creeping up on 6am. I stood, staring at the clicking lights for almost 7 hours. I never ended up sleeping that night, and I don't go on late snow machine rides anymore. Huh. That was definitely... That guy definitely got abducted by aliens. Uh, and they probably probed him. So, yeah. uh, You know, no monsters here. However, I think we learned um, a valuable lesson in this story, and that is don't stare at mysterious lights, because if you do, you will be abducted, and you will be probed anally. Don't ask me how I know that. I just do, all right? So, like I said, Don't stare at mysterious lights in the sky. Get the fuck out of there. All right. So I hope you enjoyed those stories. Um, there are some, you know. I, I had I had a bigger plan. Um, Chad's not here again. I don't know what's going on. He got, you know, I'm, I'm just like with Bank. He got a new job, and he's been super busy. I don't know when he's gonna be coming back. If he's gonna be coming back, um, the door's always open for him. I, I I told him that. So we'll we'll see. Maybe he'll be back. Um, we were going to be talking with someone who had a Sasquatch encounter within the Bennington Triangle that I've never heard before. This is an entirely new one. Um, and I'm hoping to still get him on at some point, so I'm not going to share that story quite yet until I, I get you know confirmation that he's not going to be coming on. But he had... Uh, Definitely a Sasquatch encounter at the summit of the mountain. and apparently he is also a Bennington triangle, uh, I don't wanna say expert, but he he's investigated quite a bit of the triangle. so he was gonna come on, however, however, me forgetting about the super Bowl Super Bowl kind of scheduled um his interview on the same day. Things got a little confusing. We had to reschedule. So I don't know when he's going to be back. But hopefully he comes on, shares his story, shares his knowledge of the triangle. You know, it's definitely a place uh, I'm super interested in. And hopefully next week we will have Adam Palmer on. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Uh, if you ever watch the show Curse of the Frozen Gold, he's on that show. He's one of the Mountaineer experts. He is—he's pretty much everything that I'd—I'd want to be. He is a mountaineer and a treasure hunter. He has kind of spent his adult life investigating and looking for and studying Schlumach's gold. You know, I don't know if you ever heard this story. Kind of like, you know, the 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 gold—the lost. Dutchman's mind. It's kind of like the lost Dutchman's mind. However, instead of being in the superstition mountains of Arizona, it is in the mountains of British Columbia around the pit lake area. So hopefully we get him on next week. If not next week, it'll probably be the week after uh, I was in contact with him today or just, you know, figuring out the details So stay tuned for that. It'll be a great episode. I know I'm excited for it. But before we get out of here, don't forget, if you have had an encounter with the paranormal, maybe you've seen a Wendigo, uh, were abducted by aliens, saw mysterious lights that you stared at for seven hours, then we want to hear about it. You can send us an email at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. And that sounds almost canon. To me. Then we want to hear about it. You can send us an email at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show. And that definitely sounds almost canon to me.